Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FH&P Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at fhplawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome to another edition of FH&P Lawyers Business Podcast. And I'm here with Tanvir as usual. Hi, Tanvir. Hi, Clay. Don't say as usual. You sound bored of me. I'm not bored of you. I make this podcast what it is. Well, you are certainly <laughs> doing a great job in your supportive role. <laughs> I support. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Tanvir is an equal partner in this. Today, we've got a really special guest. Jen Shores is our new lawyer at FH&P. She's been here all of two weeks, Jen. This is the... Middle of my set, third week, yes. Third week, oh wow, <laughs> okay. So uh, Jen is a... Uh, third year call. Third year call. Who and does wills and estates. Well, thank you, Tad. Your, see, your <laughs> supportive so role is, do, is you're doing great. <laughs> we are so happy to have you, first of all. Thanks for having you're me. amazing. The two weeks have been amazing, and we are looking forward to having you here. And I love that she's actually in my hallway also. So I'm not sitting in uh, the FH&P hallway with my office all alone because there was nobody there before. There, there was other other people beside uh, no, you. It's just darn COVID. <laughs> Everybody's gone home. Jens works mostly from Penticton from our other office. And that was it. The rest of the hallway was empty. Now we finally have Brenda. And now we have Jen. And me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do specifically. So I do mainly wills and estates. So preparing wills, executing estate plans, and administering estates after your loved ones pass away. So we've got a great topic today about the intersection of business law and wills and estates. So today's all about death and uh, <laughs> planning for it. How exciting. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's something that uh, for me personally, Tanvir, I have a pretty limited uh, exposure to it and mm -hmm. usually do send that part of a file. I mean, I guess we, we do in shareholders agreement, yeah. things like that. Anything yeah. else you can think of? Well, I think the topic is such a good one because it touches on more than two but for sure two of the older podcasts we've done so for sure our accountant um, podcast so we talked a lot about how estate planning is like the tax planning and all of that plays a role in business so i think this is great because it definitely overlaps with that and i'll let you get into that but then also the insurance component because our insurance guests also talked about how there's so much interplay between the types of insurance policies that are out there and what they do for different businesses. So one thing that um, we'll just get right into it, when we do uh, wills and estates appointments with clients, a few of them will have uh, mom and pop and they have an interest in a business. So it comes out because we have a checklist and one of the questions is, do you have an interest in a business? So when we start asking those questions, we get a little bit more detail every time from clients and then it turns out that they have a great business on the side. And so we look into doing restricted wills and regular wills. So that's sort of why we wanted to bring up wills and estates with the overlap of business because it does come up quite a bit. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly things that Jen can talk about. I mean, also the intergenerational transfer between businesses and trusts. But I think before we quite kind of get into the restricted will aspect, it's important to understand what happens when you die. Not theologically speaking, of course, because... I don't have the answer for that. But in terms of tax consequences, there is tax payable when you die. And one of those is basically all of your assets are to, there's a deemed disposition of all of your assets when you die at their fair market value, 
which will lead to a huge realization of capital gains. Mm -hmm. And subject to any capital gains exemptions or anything of that nature that you can claim, that's going to be a big tax liability. And the other important tax on death is in BC, probate fees. So anything you own in your own name when you die is subject to a 1.4% probate fee, which is about $14 per every $1,000 of your estate. So if you have a sizable corporation and a sizable house, bank accounts, all that, that adds up quick. Although it's not very much. I mean, I, I think people are so afraid of probate fees, and to hear that it's only 1.4%, I mean, you know, that's nothing like what people seem to be worried about. You're right. It's not, but it is actually the third highest probate fee rate in all of Canada. Wow. Only okay. behind Nova Scotia and Ontario. Oh, wow. Fun fact for the day. I think people are worried more about, like, some kind of an estate tax. Mm-hmm. And I guess in Canada, that, that's really just... Uh, capital gains, is that right? Capital gains on death, and then your estate will pay taxes at the highest marginal rate every year that it's an ongoing situation, okay. ongoing trust. Just backing up a little bit, I guess something that Tanvir and I do quite a bit is estate freezes as well. So is there a role that you play as, as a wills and estates lawyer in, in those type of, of... Yeah, I've helped do many estate freezes, help work with the accountants to implement the transaction suggest which methods might be best for that client. And that also adds, you know, maybe settling a family trust to then hold the shares. Um, but there's other tax consequences that come from having trusts as well. Is there like a, a value that you can say is significant enough to when you would refer a client into doing things like the high complexity estate planning? Well, well, not just value. I was thinking that circumstances. Yeah. That it might be... Uh, other reasons to use a family trust. Do you, do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, so some of the other reasons to use a family trust could be if you have beneficiaries you want to cut out of your estate. That's one way. Family trusts are not subject to any wills variation claims in any manner. You can also use them to avoid that deemed disposition of your capital gains tax on death because any value held in that trust does not form part of your estate. I've heard that the government is uh, frowning on uh, family trust. Can you comment on that a bit? Yes, I can. So in 2018, there was a huge budget overhaul, which implemented a stricter, more all-encompassing tax on split income. So for a family-owned business, if you you are the shareholder, your wife is a shareholder, she doesn't work in your family business, but you're paying dividends to her, those dividends are now subject to being taxed at the highest tax rate, even if she herself is in the lowest tax bracket. And that then, if the shares are held through a trust, the tax flows through the trust. Part of that Trudeau tax, as I call it, that uh, just taxing (laughs) businesses, taxing professionals. Thank you, uh, Mr. Trudeau. So circling back to Tanvir's question about the value, it really depends on every single client's threshold point. So if they're happy paying 1.4% on their million dollar estate, $14,000, that's fine. It's up to them to make that decision. If they are more cost sensitive or 
don't like paying the Trudeau tax, as Clay calls it, then, you know, they might have a lower price point that they're willing to do that at. Are there are there ongoing professional fees involved in setting up a family trust? Yes, you will have to file income tax returns every year. Um, Starting in 2021, even if your trust does not produce any income, you still have to file an income tax return fund. Which we do not do for clients. No, we do not do. We leave that up to the professional accountants. Tanvir and I always joke, we say, uh, yes, we have to refer that out to the accountant. She's about every one of our... You heard uh, of this profession called accountant? Yes, well, I grew up in a family of accountants and I still don't know how to file my own tax return, so... Okay, that was super informative. And obviously, like we always say, it's an aerial image of how it works and it's much more complicated in real life. I think that's a really good way of sort of just laying out sort of a little bit of how it works. I really want to get into the wills that we do. So wills and restricted wills for clients. So for example, the majority of my clients, like I was saying, they're not high net worth grossing businesses yet. Maybe eventually they'll get there, but when I have um, like a husband and wife sitting across from me that have a business that they've started with six other partners at one point was very small and now they might be grossing quite a bit of income from it. They come in to do wills and they don't realize when we ask them, one of our questions is, do you have an interest in business? They'll say, yeah, we run this cleaning company or we run this window company. And then we're looking into whether there's a shareholders agreement and exactly what the value is of that company. So for somebody who might be getting like $130,000 worth of a value in a company, we'll look at restricted wills. So exactly. Do you want to kind of lay out why we do those? Because it's, for me, hard to explain to clients, but like I I love the way you explain this. I'm going to leave it to you. (laughs) Right. So restricted wills, the concept of it is essentially, you imagine your estate as a pie. You know, a slice of pie is your house. A slice of pie is your bank accounts. And you have a slice of pie that is your corporate assets. When you do a restricted will, you're taking that corporate slice of pie out of the dish. Anything left in the dish is going to be subject to probate and go through the probate process and you'll be paying probate fees on that amount. The stuff you take out, so your corporate assets, your clothes, personal items, jewelry, that sort of stuff, those things are not going through the probate process. So there's no delay in the day-to-day administration of your company. There's no need to get evaluation of your company for probate purposes. And you're not going to be paying probate fees on the value of your company. Yeah. So even if your company is worth $150,000, say, you're still saving $2,000 worth of probate fees. Mm-hmm. So when we have the restricted wills, we always have two executors, right? Yes. So the normal will, there's an executor that somebody selected to go through and administer the estate for them. The restricted will is, I love the fact it's called restricted, but it's kept completely separate from the other will and it's a different executor. Exactly. So in BC, there is legislation that says that you can have two separate wills because the person who is applying for the grant of probate has to declare or swear an affidavit that they are submitting all of the property in their possession as executor. So you have to have two separate executors so that the person who is going through probate is not swearing a false affidavit. Knowing of the company and not swearing. Yeah, exactly. So do you have any advice as to who the executor would be then in dealing with the business? Hopefully someone business savvy. 
you could appoint one of your children if they have an interest in the business, but you have to keep in mind they will be the ones running the business. They'll have control over the business. And if you have multiple children, there might be issues in one of them feeling left out or feeling like they're getting a lesser share of your estate. And can they attack that will just like they would in a regular will? They can. A restricted will is not prohibited from a will's variation claim. In which case, you then may have to probate those assets. How often are you doing restricted wills and normal wills on for businesses? Most often when a client with a business with a significant interest in it yeah. or a significant value comes across my desk, then we usually do restricted wills. Yeah. Uh, so now what about what are the things that uh, I anticipate you must run, run into quite a bit are people that are trying to transfer their businesses between generations to their to their kids and do you have any advice on how how you deal with that yes um, first of all think about it while you're alive <laughs> there's <laughs> well there's two kind of forms of succession planning one of them is an active succession plan where you are thinking about it while you're alive taking steps to make that transfer happen, whether through actually transferring ownership during your lifetime through a family trust. And then the other form is passive succession planning, which is you are leaving it up to your will or you know the dreaded I word, intestacy. And the beneficiaries of your estate are then just left to become owners of the business, run the business. Figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. And I see what you're saying now about the value. Like, when, when do you start thinking about these things? That obviously, mm-hmm. I hate when people say, like, lawyers are expensive. Can I just go to a notary? First of all, notaries are not going to do any of this for any client because notaries can't do anything when it comes to trusts. They can't, essentially, they can sign off on a will that maybe someone's created themselves, but they can't actually provide legal advice like this when you're drafting your will. Exactly. Um, so, to me, it's important to know exactly where we go into that realm because it does cost money to have all of this stuff done, to do succession planning, to do the rollovers and to do yes. all that stuff. It is obviously expensive, so I wouldn't be suggesting it in each and every scenario. Right. But a, a rule of thumb would be useful. Yeah. My general rule of thumb is looking at how much tax will you be saving in the long yeah. run versus how much is this going to cost you now? Yeah. So if there's more tax that you'll be saving, it's worth it. Yeah. But I leave that calculation up to the accountants. But it's not just tax-based. It's not tax-based. Succession planning does go more into who is going to run things Mm -hmm. after you die. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. It's it's thinking through who's going to keep that business operational because that business is often the one that is feeding the rest of the family. And so, you know, that's the thinking ahead portion as well. Of course, taxes. So much is tax-driven, especially uh, with a liberal government in charge in in Ottawa. But... uh, Certainly, yeah. Certainly, there's other things as <laughs> well. I just slide it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there are other things. If you have multiple shareholders and you have shareholders agreements in place, quite often there's a buyout on death clause, which you guys I'm sure are familiar with, where essentially those shareholders will buy the shares back from your estate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we've actually had an insurance uh, mm-hmm. guest before, and we've had a, a show on that. Exactly. So listeners should be well informed (laughs) the other plant thing is you know with children are you going to appoint one children as your successor 
no children? Do you want to keep it in the family? Do you want to sell it to a third party? There's lots of decisions to make. Are, are there children that probably shouldn't share in the business? Are there mm-hmm. children you want to keep away from your business assets, I'm sure? Exactly. Yeah. And a family trust, again, is one of those methods where you could appoint who you want to appoint as the successor person to run the show and have the people benefit from the company that you want to benefit. So if yeah. you want to cut out little Jimmy... You can cut him out. No wills variation issues. Yeah. So anyway, Jen, welcome to Kelowna. Now, Thank you. Where did you. you come from? I moved up from North Vancouver two weekends ago. But you're wow. originally from Kamloops. Yes, I am originally from the interior, so I'm moving back home in a sense. Kind of. Kind of. Kelowna is better than Kamloops. Yeah, we all agree that Kelowna is better than (laughs) Kamloops. home. (laughs) We're both pretty smoky right now, but... Yeah, uh, I think Kamloops is worse. Once uh, once the the smoke clears, I think you'll like it here a lot better than Kamloops. Oh, I already like it more than Kamloops. (laughs) I haven't lived in Kamloops in over 10 years, Clay. Ah, okay. Well, I was going to say, I mean, there's people like me and Tanvir here, so... You know, obviously, it's a better place. We're amazing. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome, and uh, hey, I'm sure there's lots of opportunity here as well. So mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for uh, coming on to the show today. Thanks and, for uh, having me. Dispensing your wisdom. Thank yeah. you. That was great. FHMP lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help. Send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com.